and that's been the biggest thing for me coming into this is yeah I'm enjoying myself so much and you're yeah, looking back at that guy who never thought he could own a farm or I couldn't own a farm because I didn't believe I could Welcome to the Quorum Sense podcast where we explore how New Zealand farmers are creating more resilient regenerative and enjoyable farming systems I'm John O'Frew and I'm Duncan Hum Today we're joined by Jake Heron, a young Central Otago farmer starting out leasing a farm with a regenerative mindset, building a side business and exploring building his system to suit his environment, lifestyle, future goals, along with adding to his local community. Cool, well welcome along. We've got Jake Heron today, 26-year-old sheep and beef farmer from Central Otago. Uh, Jake is working his way from being a shepherd up until now leasing a farm at the very young age of, well, you were 25 when you first started leasing that block. Uh, he's 26 now and just working his way into farm ownership and, and really embracing the, the methodology and the, the principles of what we call regenerative agriculture along the way. Welcome along, Jake. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Flowing all the way up here this morning from down in, uh, in the mighty south. Yeah, oh, it was a beautiful day to do it. Straight into the heat. Yes, yep. yes, Rocky. What's, like, what's worth? Central Otago heat or Canterbury heat? Uh, you, you definitely, I reckon you're muggier up here, which yeah. Uh, yeah, humidity kills me. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind the drier, harsher heat we have down central there yeah. as much. Yeah. I suppose well, that'd speak a lot to your experience, you know, being over in WA and the Territory and all that sort yeah, of stuff ne- over the years. Never made it up the Territory, but yeah, definitely, yeah, we, you know, I worked in yeah, Western Australian heat and yeah, then out in um, sort of central Queensland. It was getting pretty hot by the time we left there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's it's a there's actually a bit of a mindset around that too, being able to handle the heat, handle the heat, basically, yes, <laughs> so to speak. What do you tell us a bit about what you did over in over in Oz, Jake, and, and any other sort of travellings you've done and your time leading up to settling down on onto sort of sheep farms and beef farms and central? yeah, well, yeah, how did you end up landing in central because you're not a central boy, so yeah, no, so yeah, I grew up in the North Island, um, one or two of all places. <laughs> And yeah, and although grandparents had a sheep and beef farm just down the road up until the age of seven, uh, you know, I guess I wouldn't say I was a farming background. Well, and, you know, in some respects I was, but didn't grow up on my own family farm. And uh, yeah, so when I left school at the tender age of 14, went into homeschool and that was pretty much the end of school for me. And yeah, so yeah, I'd never passed NCA or anything like that, not for lack of intelligence, just for lack of interest. And, um, well, I think not lack of intelligence anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, from there I've sort of been all over. I worked in several different industries, um, from you know, forestry and arboriculture through the weed dabble in the building industry, um, driving for Domino's Pizza. <laughs> and, yeah, finally found myself back on my uncle and grandparents' sheep and beef farm in the South Wattled Upper, and that was sort of the turning point in my life there that sort of gave me a direction to go. And since then, yeah, I've worked with few different places in the North Island, through the Mackenzie High Country, um, Queenstown Lakes High Country, uh, Canada, um, on hay and baleage crews over there, and then yeah, Western Australia and and east out sort of Queensland way as well. We did the uh, seeding and harvest thing in, in WA, like many of us do, and then actually got an opportunity to go with a mate on a driving crew out in uh, Queensland. So that was. A hell of an experience that you know I'll, I'll jump back on any time. Um, you know, three months, three months without a day off, and um, and just living on the road with the cattle, 
is yeah, it teaches you a lot about so many things. <laughs> is that like the the picture I've got on my head because I've never been over? Is that that red dirt? You know, mozzie or sandflies everywhere. Yeah, we sort of definitely had that out in WA, especially during harvest time. Like, you know, harvest time, you, you get a bit of fly pie. Oh, you just you're not even on the first step of your track to getting out, and you're just bombarded. Wow. Um, but then yeah, sort of yeah, east. I was there through the winter. Well, you know, we were th- through the winter into the sort of late spring was when we were driving. So we were in the cooler months. You know, you, you climb. No one ever tells you about how cold Aussie gets. Oh, <laughs> yes. really? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, climbing out of the swag into a minus five frost and going breaking the ice off the trough of the cattle. And then, you know, it's 25 by lunchtime. That is not what I had in my mm. head. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I've ever been as cold as like when I worked in WA. Yeah. Went there preparing for heat. And they're just the bitterness of like the frosts were only, you know, pretty minute. Because, we went there like right in the middle of winter, like start of winter. So it was just like the first few frosts, and like by our standards, uh, tiny frosts, but just a cold mm. like. Oh, that inland wind day yeah. is just you're standing on top of a seed box, filling it up. And, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And because Duncan Better. prepared by taking only sandals and singlets and yeah. shorts, he- <laughs> oh, a, ma- a mate of mine, he got rang up when he was in Queensland. Same matter, work for on the driving gang. Actually, he um he got rang up to. Offered an opportunity to go to Kath- around Catherine area in the territory bull catching, and so they're like, "Yep, you can get sweet. You got a spot, but you got to be on the plane tomorrow morning." So he reckoned he'd he'd done his weekly washing that morning, so he had no clean clothes. <laughs> chucked, chucked it all in a swag, rolled it up, told his missus, "I'm on a flight and plane tomorrow morning," and he was out of there. And he thought, "Oh, it's the territory. You know, I won't need to take too many warm clothes. I don't need a sleeping bag." Oh, no. And um. He reckoned the first three nights he was up there, it froze every night, and he, he ended up going and cutting cutting a bit off the hessian scrim and wrapping himself up in it to keep warm. Wow. <laughs> and then for the rest of the two months he was up there, you couldn't sleep because it was 35 degrees all night. Yeah. Yeah. Far <laughs> out. So I guess all that travelling around, I think one of the big things I went, when I went to WA, I went from an irrigated cropping farm in Canterbury where I was working to going to Aussie, and it was dry when we left. Canterbury and then we got to Aussie and it was just like next level dry mm. throughout. Was there anything there and I suppose being wire rapper working around there, was that kind of where the dots started connecting for you, like with this region journey of like how can we get stuff to grow when it's dry? Um Yeah, I mean my I've I've sort of always had a deep seated, you know, not coming from that traditional agricultural background, so to speak. And then you know, my mother has been a huge influence um, as far as, you know, she's quite a natural person and likes natural things and, and um, you know, almost that wee sort of hippie vibe really. And then, yeah, moving on from that, then um, her partner Darcy, he he was sort of always talking about, he was a farmer and, yeah, he was always talking about the negative effects of like superphosphate and things like that and, you know, and he just swore by lime, like just lime everything. Um, you know, and yeah, superphosphate. You know, the guy who created it released a paper saying how detrimental it was to the environment, sort of thing, which I now know is goes back to that, you know, von Liebig. Is it? Yeah, um, he came up with the NPK. So yeah, that, that's sort of where I already had that in the back of my head, and then yeah, all through my career, definitely had serious questions about what we were doing, why we put all this chemical on, and then yeah, getting into Western Australia and just saying that you know crops getting seven eight passes with a with a sprayer with some nasty crap that you just didn't want to be near it yeah that was just like whoa how um yeah how how can these guys do this how can this be good 
at all. I, I wouldn't eat a damn thing. I've planted or harvested out here. You know, that was coming home from Aussie was definitely like right. And then yeah, you start looking around and seeing more and more, you know, especially around Canterbury as well, you know, going that way, the big gear, taking out all the trees, you know. Yes. Um, and just seeing what that's done to that Western Australian environment. And then going on to read once, you know, I started learning about biology and things like that, read about people saying they reckon if Western Australia doesn't change the way they do things, in their opinion, there's only ten harps left. Mm. And um and I could I could definitely having been there and experienced it, I could see how that's <laughs> very possible. Yeah, you know, especially like at where I worked, you know, the amount of it's just seems so daft, doesn't it? The, yeah. The moist the amount of moisture they actually get to try and grow a crop of barley or wheat or whatever is so little and then you're out there just but and that but that mindset out. too, like where where the wheat belt is is where all the rain used to be. Mm. And now they so keep saying, Oh, the wheat belt's moving north. So every time they push north, the, the rain, the rain away. Yeah. Pushing, you know, and it's just like, well, from from an outside perspective, can't you see that you guys are the more the land you clear and the further north you yeah. go, the more the rain just that wheat belt keeps getting wider and there's So that perspective alone, Jack, like that's something that I never had at your age. I would never have questioned that. I would never have made the link between, you know, dry, arid environments actually affecting the rainfall. You know, we all blame it on uh, seasons. You know, it's, oh, what a, you know, what a shitty season it was. And we, we don't draw the link that, you know, maybe it's the, the way that we're growing our, you know, the systems that we create that are actually affecting the rain and pushing that rain away. And so for you to be able to see that, like, I think that gives you a, really really unique perspective and, and a unique starting point for what followed which you know why don't you tell us about when you came home sort of what what you got up to once you come back after seeing that yes yeah, so i mean yeah, yeah how i ended up in central was i actually i ducked home for a month's holiday from aussie because i wasn't meant to be coming home just a month's holiday and met a bird and yeah still went back and did harvest but ended up coming back to central which was great because two of my best mates lived there as well so um yeah that worked out really well and from there went to work on a i I, I worked for a contractor's down in winton and um yeah saw a few things throughout all that as well and then did a bit more casual and ended up on a place i seen a shepherd on a place um up next door to beaumont station basically and um yeah the very traditional in their farming and so and that was probably the most intensified I'd sort of seen you know especially like the likes of cultivation and, and spraying on a New Zealand farm I'm not saying they're the most intense by any means but that's just as but far that as that sort of area as, it was oh and just for places I've worked on you know, I've yeah. worked a lot of extensive you know high country merino well not a lot but a couple of high country merino places and then even up in the wider upper you know they were fairly simplistic farming styles even one place was quite intensive farming, but um, even back then, you know, he was getting into the diverse pastures and, yeah, that just helped give me that different outlook on it. And so, yeah, so going there was, yeah, I guess, I guess it taught me what I didn't want to do. Although, yeah, he's a, he's a great operator and, you know, everything's, you know, at maximum production. It just taught me that that's not how I want to farm. You know, there was, I was always stressed because we were short of feed. It always seemed like we were short of feed, you know, the stock we're doing, but, yeah, stress levels were up there. And so, yeah, and that's probably about the time that I clicked that, you know, the reason I'm moving around so much and not um, settling down was, you know, because I wasn't going to enjoy working for other people anymore. I needed to get out there and just have a crack of my own. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's sort of where lifestyle farming concept came about was I was going to farm, you know, anyway, half a, half a hectare through to 10 hectare or 
whatever size I could get just to get a bit of skin in the game and get some some livestock. And um, in year prior to that, actually was when you know I accidentally got onto John one of Jono's pages and first heard the word regenerative agriculture. And it just the more I read, the more it clicked and made sense. And it was like something I'd been looking for, you know, my whole career, my whole life. Even it was just wow, this is this makes sense to me. All of these things you had observed and and subconsciously stored away as like things you weren't sure about and things you didn't agree with and things that you weren't able to find in farming. Well, you know, things that you disagreed with so you couldn't settle on these farms, but you didn't know any other way. Like, mm. and, and then all of a sudden you, you hear about these people talking about this way of farming that gets away from all of that, you know, industrial high, you know, inputs farming. And I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. Yeah. Well, and it, so, uh, you know, renewed you to passion that sorting you, I was losing like, I'd, I'd looked at getting out of farming several times, you know, going stock agenting or something like that, still being in the industry, but I didn't, I just didn't want to be farming anymore. I'd had enough. Um, and yeah, and you know, I now see that it was partially down to you. I needed to get out and do something on my own. Um, so yeah, and then to find that, and yeah, like I said, everything clicked, and yeah, it's like wow. And and it gave me this perception that actually I can get into my own place. Like it just changed that whole mindset from oh, well, you know, I need X amount. Um, I remember seeing Balski speak, and he was the first person I ever saw put a put a figure on it. And I didn't even know he was into the region stuff at the time either. But really enjoyed seeing him speak. And he, he told us, you know, 300,000, that's, everyone says they won't put a figure mm-hmm. on it, but I was like, oh, that's awesome, that's the first figure, time I've heard a figure put on it. Where the hell am I going to get 300 grand from? Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, meeting up with you, and at least in that time when I first met you and Sally, and you were, you were doing the Generation Next um, leadership program with, um, was Beef and Lamb, wasn't it? Beef and Lamb, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was after you had got in touch with me, and we, we organised this meeting, and I could tell, you know, you wanted to, go and lease some land you had these ideas back then it wasn't lifestyle farming it was just an idea you hadn't put a name on it and I, I just remember being real real straight with you like okay so what is it that's in the way and you were sort of like you know finances and you know how am I going to afford the first year's lease without any income you know getting that cash up front and I remember just being and I, f- I remember feeling a bit absurd in saying it but I was like who says you need that mm. And I remember saying to you, get out and do your, get an ad in your local paper, use Facebook to your advantage. I remember saying there's people who have got land that are getting over it and, and want to see someone fresh and new and, and someone that's perhaps going to do you know, good things for their land. They want to support those people. And you know, I remember it was not, not long after that that you found exactly that, someone like that. Yeah, it was that night I went home. I must have been on the way home. I got Sally to drive and I was emailed away for ideas for my logo <laughs> so that was the first big step and then um yeah i think it was that night or the next day i, I chucked the ad out on facebook like i designed this flyer painstaking hours into this lemon fly that i was gonna <laughs> drop around and i thought oh stuff it i'll just chuck an ad on the local facebook page just to you know test the waters and then i'm committed and uh yeah, I never even got to print the flyer. <laughs> I remember you used to yeah. to me and you're thinking, oh, does it look good? You know, is it the right, if I'd done it right? And I'm just like, just get it out and yeah, got the yeah, right yeah. font. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The right Layout. font, the right colour scheme, the right photo <laughs> in the background. Like, just painstaking, you know, procrastination really was all it was. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it seemed hellishly important at the time. And um, and I guess it was important to go through that creative process. But, oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah and, and yeah, you know, sort of. Got this text, and in that ad, I said what I wanted. You know, I wanted to look at 
you know, minimal or no input systems and, you know, less chemical, all that good stuff, you know, concentrating on soil health. And that was kind of hard for me to put out there because at that stage I was still scared of being a hippie. Yeah, you were in that (laughs) that community of really, you know, I use the word conventional, but just that traditional, you know, Mm. we've done it this way for generations and generations. You know, who's this guy saying? And, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah, what you're talking about sounds like what the greenies talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that that was hard. And then yeah, we just had uh had the owner of some land text me. He said, "Oh, I read your ad and I really liked it. Uh, what do you think about 150, 160 hectares?" And you were thinking, <laughs> "Oh, ten hectares." Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just like, "Whoa!" Because uh, you were still shepherding, weren't you? Yeah, I was still shepherding. Yeah, I was still up on that place, and uh, yeah, it was just like, I'd, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'll, I'll definitely have a yarn with you and. I mean, yeah, Reedy, he's just been, he's been awesome. Yeah, he, he had that farm there and he's got a contracting business also. He wanted to concentrate on that and wasn't, you know, as interested in the farming side and just the way I was talked about soil health and that sort of thing piqued his interest that I wasn't going to come in and thrash the place. And so, yeah, so that, you know, gave him the, oh, well, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you a nudge. And, um, and he's helped us out with the first two years lease that, we graze some of the neighbours' stock for him, which he's done that for the last few years, and um, but that sort of equates to roughly what a lease would be worth and income for him, and so that means there's no no cash outflow for us, but yeah, it's, and it's a weigh-in for those first couple of years, and so now it's it's just on me to to build build that capital so we can go into a, a good position at the end of that first two year term. Mm. And I tell you what, man. Um Starting where you did, and and getting into some animals on the ground before you know smack bang on, on the big sea on COVID landing. Mm, mm, How yeah. was that for you? Yeah, so we bought. Uh, so through another another non capital venture, uh, I went through the beef and lamb, uh, not beef and lamb, sorry, PGG rights and go lamb uh, scheme. So yeah, we didn't have to outlay any capital for the lambs either, which was brilliant. Uh, but we bought the day before trying to shut their borders. So, you know, overnight the price plummeted and, you know, I went from even if I couldn't put a hell of a lot of weight on these lambs, I was still going to at least break even to, you know, come come May when I was starting to really want to get rid of them and, you know, hadn't really, you know, we were nowhere near being able to finish them. I'd been fairly optimistic about the kind of weight gains I was going to get. Um, You know, it was going to cost me 30 grand just to get out of them. Wow. So, yeah, we went through that first winter fairly overstocked and, um, and you learn some, learn some harsh lessons through there, and yeah, and, and came out the other side of it. I, I actually haven't sat down and done the figures, but it did. It cost us a good chunk of money. Mm. So I mean, yeah. Although although I set out to prove that you can you can get into this with with no capital upstart, and um, you know, and that and the, the regenerative practices are a are a sound way of doing that. I would definitely recommend to anybody out there tr- go, trying it. To have some form of capital behind you it doesn't have to be a lot, but I was I was fortunate that I did have some money behind me. That if it all went south, I was going to be able to afford to pay the bills and get out of it. Get out, yep, and you know, and have minimal debt, hopefully, mm. because I would have had a lot more sleepless nights if I didn't have that. It turned out in the end, I didn't need that. I needed a little bit of it, but I didn't need that. But mm. yeah, we've gotten through. Um, and the tools that they, well, you know, the, the service that those animals provided, because I remember coming and having a look at the place before you took it over, and the way that it had been run meant that everything was very sleepy, wasn't it? Everything mm. it was sort of, 
bulls on over winter and then sort of nothing for the rest of the year, wasn't it? So yeah, it'd been that way for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So the place was well rested, which was a fantastic starting point for mm. for me going in with the way I wanted to farm it. But yeah, it's just unfortunate that that class of stock that I used initially wasn't the right tool. And yeah, and that was just a wee bit of rose tinted glasses going in. Wow, I found this amazing way of farming <laughs> that you know is going to solve all my all my dilemmas for the last ten years. Um, and yeah. And I'm a boots and all kind of guy. I, I, might, I procrastinate, but when I do something, I just jump right in and generally figure out how to do it afterwards. There, there were lessons to be learned there, that, and I'm glad I learned them because now going forward, you know, I've got a much clearer picture on, on how things work and yeah, maybe just doing little trials here and there as opposed to chucking the whole farm in, but yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, when you say it was the wrong stock class, is it? A timing thing or class of stock, like try, trying to be finishing. Next year, yeah, trying to be finishing on on your know, sleepy grand lot. When yeah. we first when we looked at the place, there was a lot of tall rank stuff, but there was a beautiful understory of clover through it. So, you know, like your ideal deferred ground. But by the time I got lambs on, you know, six weeks later, you know, we'd been through the peak of January. It was hot, it was dry, and yeah, we just had standing hay yeah. in the whole place. Yeah, and. You know, just everything I read on the the grazing management, I was like, that's just all I had was that this is going to work. I'm going to shift these three times a day and we're going to grow lambs on hay. And yeah, that was just arrogance on my behalf, really not to probably look at the signs and, and yeah, listen to other people. <laughs> um, that was just, no, I found this awesome way of doing things. Um, and yeah, I mean, we did grow them, but just not what. Not as, as fast as you were expecting. Yeah. Like a bit well, more. And yeah, and, and not bugger all by the end of it, by the time we wintered them and spent that money, yes. you know, they weren't they weren't much heavier than when they came on the place yeah, right. because we lost weight through the winter. Yeah. Obviously with being tight. Yeah. Which led you into your next move, which was purchasing some some older animals. Yes, yeah, so and yeah, that we did that pre winter as well. So that sort of at that point I still thought I was gonna get rid of the lambs before winter. So that was during lockdown. We bought two hundred and fifty ewes. And you know, that was the silver lining of of COVID was that those ewes were were we got them for good money, and um and yeah, got a crop of lambs out of them. Um, so yeah, and that that's worked better. And then since then, we've used uh, works use as a tool for managing that rank feed. And um, yeah, I've just got lambs on at the moment again, but not many of them. So the place is probably going to end up getting a bit of a rest before the bulls come back in in April, which would be. The last year of the bulls? No, no. So, well, I mean, there's been no discussion with the owners of the kettle around moving forward, but I'm quite happy to carry on with the contract for the next few years anyway and just see how it goes. Um, in the long run, I think there may have to be a change, but at the same time, you know, if a, an opportunity came up for ownership or something in five years' time, I don't want to be putting the owner out of a, an income source by getting rid of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just all that to take into the equation. You can, you can work with it and... Yeah, I can work That's with so it good. for now, and, and for yeah. now it does actually suit the system. I mean, if I, once I get into a full capital flock, it would be a lot more challenging to run those kind of numbers through the winter. Yeah. But, um, hey, there might be more land come up. Or, it's the thing, it's all a very fluid motion. Um, everything could change tomorrow, um, and if you talk to any of my friends, things quite often change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the plan's forever evolving and changing, yeah. Quite interesting, even in like my own context of, because um, we've got a, reasonable system but like when you're trying to plan out a few years time i'm starting to think about well i want to do this or that or the other and when you sit down to try and do like longer term strategy it's really hard to sit down and actually go oh yeah well no we'll do this this and this whereas i suppose if the old conventional system it's like well we're just going to do this and repeat that mm. 
for the next decade and that'll be what it is so yeah it's quite an interesting and scary um concept when you're trying to build a business and especially if you ended up trying to pitch that to a bank or that's it and thus far i've kept you know i've managed to keep the banks out of it and you know i'd love to say that i'll keep them out of it forever but at the end of the day if we want to get into land ownership it's you know there's going to be some form of lending yeah um but yeah there's still there's still a wee ways down the track so you know we're working on building that that capital stock now i think is the best sort of asset i can have to move forward to that but um but yeah like you say it's so hard to plan long term yeah because you just when, when you don't know what you want to be doing mm. uh, exactly exactly and, yeah and, and it's an evolution of a what the best scenario was at the time so mm. it's, yeah. yeah and, and, and like, not owning the land too you know it's it's hard to say right well you know i want to go full agroforestry across the whole place but yeah what well, you know i'd like to say we'll be there for 10 years plus but like i say if the opportunity came up in five years time to go into own an equity partnership i'd be a fool to turn that down to stay or stay leasing mm-hmm. yeah it's just yeah we've got to keep the owner in mind with whatever we do with the place because it's got to it's got to increase the value for him and yeah and work for him should we move on and yeah whether he's he finds someone a, else definitely or, a key man on the team oh exactly yeah, totally. so yeah yeah totally he's got to be included in in the direction so mm, mm, exactly mm. i think cool. the other cool thing that that points out to me jake is you're operating from the now you know the here and now as opposed to getting you know dragged down by all this past because you've not done this before it's all new and so you've not got all this preconceived you know fear basically about the next steps you're just going out there and doing it it's not careless farming it's not it's not naivety but it's like um because you're still working it out and and we can talk more soon about the other things you're doing to keep cash flow going because i think that's a really cool part of what you're doing but it's really just dealing with the hurdles that come along because most of them are unpredictable. You know, like COVID, couldn't have predicted that. You know, we get into this mindset where everything's got to be forecasted and planned. And when you're dealing with natural ecosystems, you know, we don't, we can't forecast that. You know, we've gotten pretty good at forecasting weather and various other things to a point, but forecasting markets, forecasting even our own personal interest as we develop and grow like at the rate that you are which has been phenomenal just in the last year of or a bit over a year of well, it's actually been more like two isn't it 18 months maybe, 18 yeah. months here of, of, of how much you've developed and grown and how much you're changing from you know just looking at farming to then stepping into education and even a bit of consultancy it's it's really cool to watch someone just dealing with the the present just the here and now and taking action as required mm, totally and and, you know, and to you know when you say um in dealing with the here and now but you know not dealing with preconceptions and fear of 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 the failures from the past like that that definitely comes into play like there are so many days that i walk out on that place and just go have i got rocks on my head because <laughs> you know what am i even doing here um but that's all yeah that's just dealing with that mindset and yeah realizing that's the fear kicking in mm. put put that to the side and yeah deal with deal with what's in front of you and keep on chugging because I mean, like I said to Sally when we first went into this, and you know we were humming and hiring about investment and you know the money and all that sort of thing. Worst thing that can happen is we can go broke. Yeah, and um, <laughs> that's I, it. I've, I've heard, and, and and that's not my quote. I, you know, I can't remember who said that to me, but it might have been me. <laughs> oh, I've heard a few old farmers say it that that was their, their motto in the beginning. You know, especially guys who got into farming in the eighties and things like that. But um. 
yeah, and that that's the realism of it. We're still in the first half of our our lives, um, and the most successful people on the planet have been bankrupt several times. Most of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. about. Don't set yourself that as a goal, but no, uh, no, 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 yeah, no, I don't want to be one of the wealthy. You know, I don't yeah. want to be one of the richest people on the planet. So yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not one of my aims. But um, but was, at the end of the day, that is the worst thing that can happen. And we've made it through the first twelve months and haven't gone broke, and that's the hardest one. Yeah, um, you even bought some neighbouring land, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, bought two acres right next door, which um, yeah, it's going to be. Build a house on that this year, hopefully, and uh, yeah, it's probably going to become some sort of. We'll be doing some produce, some sort of produce off there. There's a few things in the pipeline for possibilities of, yeah, how we're going to make money off that two acres as well, because we've got to make, you know, got to make everything work. Um, but in a way that's not, you know, not degrading nature or anything like that. You know, it's, and that's the big one. I've I've had a couple of the different things been approached about growing, and yeah, it's just. I don't want to grow them in that way. It's working out how we do it, mm. you know, so it, it fits with my values and morals. Um, so your your farm where you are is actually on fruitlands. So is that an indicator of what the area has been used for in the past? Uh, like, or it's suited, suited to growing fr- fruit or other Funny you should ask that, crops? yeah. So it was called fruitlands because that's where they initially tried to plant fruit from, grow fruit from what I gather, but uh, it's remained... With the name because it was the only place they couldn't grow fruit. Uh, <laughs> Ironically named. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fr- Fruitlands is uh, renowned for their Alex climate, you know, a lot of fog in the winter, but probably slightly more so. It's higher than Alex, so it actually sits in the fog. And uh, yeah, it hasn't happened for a few years together, but it, it has sat in fog for, you know, three months. And, and Hallfrost, like the, there's a dam not far up the road that the owner remembers. They used to skate on for two, three months of the year. Um, so the winters have gotten milder because I mean last winter on our coldest day, the dam did freeze, but only you know, not even half an inch. It would have been a mill of ice across the top of it, and that was it. So you know, things are changing. The temperatures, cha- the climate's changed the year that you you could it would people are growing fruit trees in their gardens and things like that. So you know that's um and I mean that's that's the end game for me is would be yeah a permaculture kind of set up on that. On that two acres that you know can be sustainably feeding yourself as well as others, mm. um, so you know it's it's saving money and making money. Mm. Some of that high value stuff. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Well, the values and the savings. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. I was just thinking before when you were talking about you know what how grim it is some days when you're out on the farm, and you know obviously when things are tight or things aren't going your way or whatever, and it reminds me of a quote. Um, guy who's actually a freestyle motocross, a guy called Harry Bunk, was talking about challenges and overcoming challenges and things and um, he was talking specifically about COVID thing and lockdown because I've been, he's an Aussie guy because I think there was a bit of stuff in the media at the time about how, you know, how grim it was, everyone was locked down and he put this post up saying about, oh and it was a photo of something he was mucking around doing on a motorbike at home during lockdown and he was like, we're looking at it wrong, like we, um, we didn't have to be locked down. We got to be locked down. And that was just that mindset shift with yeah. him. It was like he wasn't, you know, he was missing out on all this money from traveling the world doing what he does professionally. He's like, I got, we got to be at home mm. and we got to be doing it. And I think, yeah, that's one thing since I read that. It was like, because as a deer farmer at the moment, things are pretty grim. But yeah. And so though, these tough days when you're out on the farm and you're thinking about the dollars and, 
all those sorts of things that might not be going your way. And it's like, yeah, well, at the end of the day, we, we've, we've surviving and we're still here mm. and, um, and we get to do this. So, cause yeah, there's a lot of people in like that, your background, Jake, where you're like, when you were shepherding, you just had this thing that was missing. And, but like you before, cause obviously John, I knew you just as you, before you did your own business and there was just this thing that was missing. And I suppose it's myself too, before I did what I was doing. Yeah, it was just this thing that was missing that you just kind of had to do and you look at it on paper, it was utterly stupid, but you just had, well, you just had to go yeah. and give it a crack and get into it, eh? So. Oh, yeah. And that also speaks to the benefits of having a system that doesn't require a heap of investment to feed or to keep running because when things happen that are out of our control, you know, we're not so heavily invested. We haven't spent all this money already up front just to get, you know, to a position where we're going to lose more money. Mm. You know, that takes a bit of, um, you know, you can understand these these high, like you look at the rates of suicide and depression in farming, it's not just about that whole mindset thing, like what you just mentioned about the way we perceive problems, but this is the whole thing about resilience. It's not just resilience as far as, you know, our, our ecosystem function, but it's financial resilience. If we're not investing so much capital, it's like, you know, we're not betting so much money on a, you know, half lame horse, so to speak. Yes. Like dead horse. A dead horse, yeah. yeah. Flogging the dead horse. Yeah, well, the dead horse, yeah. yeah, the big thing about resilience, isn't it? Like, how prepared are, is your business to sustain a shock, an unplanned shock? So, whether in farming, generally it's market weather, 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 and uh, a few other things like that. But yeah, when it comes to, as we've seen in the last year, like with a COVID shock or a weather shock where you, know, you might get a big flood or something and it bowls out your bridge and you can't get trucks in or out or you can't do this or that. And then you see like these high input farms where they run so close to the wire and they're needing inputs arriving all the time. So what happens when that tap gets turned off for whatever reason and then all of a sudden where does that leave your system? And mm. exposed is where I always see those things. And so I guess that's like how our systems evolve um is to be co- coping with dry it's like our big driver and then so yeah mother nature's whatever she deals up to we make sure that we're well and truly ready for that and like my dad when he was farming um one of the very first things they bought and built was a uh snow player because they got caught out in the 1974 snow and they just had morris oxford truck and a model a truck and an old farm all tractor and they just remember what it was like trying to get through the snow and so then dad and uncle they bought the steel got it rolled up built a snow player just and so anytime it snows now it's like bring it on like yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> as long as we've got like you've got the tools to deal yeah, with yeah yeah so it makes those sort of shocks and that you know snow was quite a regular thing when we do get decent snows that means it so um yeah all those little things being prepared and then same with like not needing the fertilizer truck turning up every couple you know every month to chuck on something to get something to grow all those little things you can remove that risk from your system and obviously the cost too especially like when product prices are down like in the venison game at the moment if we had a high input system that relied on expensive inputs then we'd be really you know cash would be flowing but one way so isn't it funny how when when markets drop the input associated costs don't drop to suit, mm. you know. <laughs> no, funny that. no, and the and the price in the supermarket doesn't drop. No, uh, no, yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. 
We so, could dive down that rabbit hole very easily and not not get out in the next hour and a yes, half. That's for sure. Yes. I suppose we you know, swing that back around to what are you doing on farm? You know that coat helps you cope with your environment because it's a. I don't know how you guys do it. It's tough going, but yeah. So what are, what are the key things? You, well, what are the things that you're observing by how you're managing things, and what are some of the things you're doing to really minimise that risk? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I, I am new to the environment, so I'm still learning it myself. But um, oh yeah, we can go very dry in the summer, so that's always yeah, there's something that's in the back of your head. And so yeah, I mean maintaining maintaining high covers is definitely a priority to me, and even at the risk of going rank. Um, like yeah, we sort of my mate Paul Blackler, he's just down the road, which that's been awesome having a mate down the road who's interested in the same sort of thing. And yeah, he and I just looked at other areas you know how they talk with their grazing management and and keeping on top of it in the spring to keep that that quality and totally agree with that but just in our context you know in a normal year we're we're guaranteed to go dry from now onwards like probably would have gone dry over christmas this year's been phenomenal rainfall for this time of year but so you know so yeah at the expense of going rank we will keep high covers just to have that that feed so that's sort of one of the main thing major ones and then the place wasn't dependent on fertilizer when I moved on, so that's not an input we've even really looked at. You know, bit of bit of pruned lime down the spout with some cover crop and things like that, and then yeah, and that's probably the other management move is just moving out of monocultures and um, yeah, getting into the cover crop thing. Which I mean, that was another one of those things that at the beginning of this journey, I read Gabe Brown's book and it's just like, oh wow, it's all cover crops, you know, this is, you know, cover crops are everything. And that, and that's actually the thing I see with most people just sort of waking up to this is they just think, oh, it's all about cover crops. That's all you got to do. Like, um, yeah. And although they're a fantastic tool, I'm now actually moving well beyond that into, yeah, grazing management is, is for me without, you know, not wanting to put in capital, you know, keeping on putting in capital. Um, you know, grazing management is a very cheap tool, and at the moment, you know, I'm running around with a heap of poly wire, and hopefully someday soon we might get a few more permanent fences in. But yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, th- th- those are my my shifts at the moment, and yeah, how much uh, crop you need to grow like for these cattle that you're wintering, so your t- neighbor, so and then what are you growing in those? You know, what are you finding is working to really make those bulls crank, and and then obviously. Uh, Minimise the damage in winter by having cattle on for grazing those. Yeah, so I mean, this, this is this this will be my first year wintering them on cover crop. Last year when I took over, the crops were already in, and they were monoculture, one kale crop and one rape crop. Oh, yeah. and um, and they weren't flash crops um, like like everyone else. Just the season hadn't been great for growing crop, and um, so yeah, last last winter I definitely learned some lessons about yeah sort of. And it was one of those things, yeah, we, did, we didn't crank the bulls the way we needed to. And it was it was getting towards the end of them when they were getting ready to leave that I, I started diving down a few other rabbit holes on, you know, room and health and that sort of thing. And things started to click because I'd just been tearing my hair out going, I'm, I'm doing everything, like all this grazing management, I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it right. And then, yeah, you get on to a bit more Ian Mitchell Innes and people like that and they start talking about, you know, the pH of the room and things like that. And since they... You know, that second bite of the plant spiking the pH in the room, and it's like, ah, 
there's my problem. I've been, you know, I have been, even though in my head I wasn't overgrazing it because I was looking at it saying, oh, there's still, you know, way more feed than I used to leave. So going, well, actually, yeah, no, for the, for the health of the stock, I need to be leaving even more, like, you know, to, to get these bulls cranking the way I wanted to on a, on a rotational graze, yeah, I needed to be leaving more feed again. So I was learning that. And then, yeah, so going into this winter with the cover crops, um, I've done... One mixture from Jono and Peter at Symbiosis, uh, which was 37 species with 10% perennial in it. And yeah, there's a bit of a suck it and see. And that's some some dryland, some irrigation. And yeah, unfortunately, the dryland stuff's not. We'll see. We've had a second rain now. It might, might still come, but it wasn't looking that flash. Just we got good rain after it was sun, stuck its head up, and then we just got Norwester. And yeah, so, but the irrigated stuff's looking, looking great. And uh, really, we're happy with how that's going. And then, yeah, our other crop paddock, I um, I cover cropped that, and straight after the bulls came out, and we bailed, put that into whole crop baleage. I was really happy with how that went, and yeah, helped re- just repair some of that that top layer compaction from monoculture, you know, raising, decking out a monoculture crop. Yeah. And yeah, and then that's straight away being drilled back into just a fairly simple sort of fifteen way mix that I created myself. Um, it, it yeah very low cost and yeah so we'll sort of get to see the comparison there of, of how both crops go and um and yeah i mean the big one with the big mix from symbiosis is going and looking at those right 37 species we've planted here which ones are growing in my environment um yep. you know that's start narrowing it down exactly yep. that's, that's the shotgun approach and why yeah in my view yeah it's, it's a good approach for people to start with yeah the shotgun approach chuck everything out there but you know that is that there's there's money in that doing that so yeah then figuring out right what grows in my context what's what am i actually wanting to achieve for the soil and then yeah and then eventually moving into well like for me i want to go i want to go 100 percent pasture-based system which will be challenging in our environment no two ways about it but that's that's the way of the future to me because cropping is just getting harder and harder to do and there's no discernment currently anyway between a cover crop and a and a brassica, and a monoculture brassica crop. If it's got brassica in it, it's a winter forage crop. And of course, yes, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, really, there are ecological benefits to a cover crop for winter for sure. But as far as that consenting process goes, at the moment, it's yeah, I I need to be moving towards yeah a resilient um system that yeah isn't relying on winter crop. Um, That's where you can see the the power of these, you know, once you get into, you know, when you take a step back and look at why we need crops, it's because we have really dramatic feed curves and we need this feed provision in the low points of the of the feed curve and we got stuck into growing ryegrass like that's the answer and rather than questioning the ryegrass, we have then started adapting our systems to suit that that dramatic feed curve where there's lots of growth in the spring and we have to cut excesses and put it out on the fringes of the season and and also take cuts of of um or grow crops to to also fill those gaps but when you start to grow these diverse um you know pastures and as as your pastures diversify themselves through the grazing management like as you said you know you can diversify your pastures just with grazing management changing that environment um, getting that structure back to allow for plant diversity because where in nature is there a monocrop? Well, nowhere. It's only when we make it. And so then all of a sudden our feed curve is not so dramatic. We're growing feed in the fringes, even in conditions like at Fruitlands where we've got extreme cold, extreme hot. If you've got natural diversity, you're going to have something growing 
you know, that's, that's the idea anyway, something growing in all those times of the year mm. and just adapting your management to suit to make sure you're always growing something. Why don't, why don't you talk to us, Jake, about um, some of the things in the early stages of the taking on the farm and, you know, weaning or, you know, moving from working for wages to self-employment, some of the things you had to do just to be responsible for cash flow, especially in those early stages of the, of the venture. Yeah, so I mean, initially, I, I handed in my notice as soon as I knew I was going to take on the lease, but I gave plenty of notice, like um, I think I told them in the beginning of February, and, and you know, I wasn't actually meant to leave until June, but I uh, ended up leaving at the end of lockdown. Um, but yeah, so you know, that was that was 50 minutes gate to gate from where I was working to where the lease block was, and yeah, and that, that got to be hard work, you know, um, no two ways about it, but it, it was worth it. Because yeah, it was keeping the bills paid. You know, I was making good money, and yeah, we were sort of able to get a start. And then yeah, from there, transitioned out into yeah, working for myself, which that was a bit strange. Um, I definitely think I took the piss a bit in the initial stages. Probably wasn't as accountable for myself as I should have been. Um, there's a few few big nights with mates in the middle of the week and <laughs> things like that. Well, just, you know, there's the thing: people just keep turning up to visit. So yeah, oh, well, right, go for a quick farm tour and then you know come back have a few beers and yeah. So that that's definitely something. Yeah, just re- knocking that on the head and, and getting yourself back in line. You know, there's a whole needs to be a bit of discipline there. And yeah, and so I mean, uh, initially I was I was fairly bloody quiet. Really, winter time. Not a lot going on. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think what I actually did through the winter. <laughs> How much time did you spend on you jumping down YouTube rabbit holes and yeah, reading yeah, books and fair bit of time. That sort of that. Stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. I did spend a lot of time studying through the winter. Yeah, yep, and that yeah, and just and planning, trying to come up with different ideas, ways to make money, things like that. You know, sort of branching the lifestyle farming thing out. All right, oh, we don't need lifestyle blocks anymore. Or currently, like it might still be something in the future. To and I do have two little lifestyle blocks that I look after. But um, branching that out into, you know, went and bought a handy piece so I could share lifestyle block sheep and, you know, sort of trying to push out that service of just all your animal services. But linking into that was, yeah, a bit of consultancy around Colorado. Yeah, people were always asking, oh, what kind of fertiliser do you think we should put on here or something like that. So just trying to turn that into to a cash flow as well because, like John, I said, you know, I am really interested in getting into the educational Side of things, and you know, and oh, I just love getting out and yarning to people and having a look around, so it sort of makes sense. Which, yeah, I mean, in all fairness, that that side has been really not a lot's happened there, like especially in the consulting side, but then, yeah, even in the, the livestock gear and all that, sort of, it, I pushed it pretty hard at the beginning, and then I've sort of buttoned off a bit now because other things have just grabbed my attention a bit more, and yeah, been getting out and doing. Bit more casual mustering and things like that, and sitting on on machines for contractors. But yeah, just always ticking over those ideas for the next next sort of step. And yeah, so there's some um, few things in the pipeline there. Nice. And now even looking at building a house. Yep, yep. We're sort of getting stuck into that too, which is just holy heck. Yeah, there's there's a bit involved in that one, but be nice. It would be nice just to go to a company and say, oh yeah, we like that one, build it. But yeah. That's not the cheapest way to do things. And, you know, I'm sort of fairly adamant about a few things on the house, you know, like, so, yeah, woolen carpets and woolen insulation and those sorts of things, that which are that bit higher cost. So we need to make sure, you know, we're saving money in other areas, i.e., yeah, not overpaying for subbies and things like that. So, um, yeah, we're doing the, 
not self-managed our builder will manage the build but yeah we're sort of going to pull everything together ourselves it's not to you sit down with the builder and he tells you right you need that you know you need to think about your spark you need to think about what color your carpet's going to be you need it blah 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 oh, wow there's there's a lot to it um but yeah it's going to be a busy year <laughs> and when you look at your progress so far um you know do you do you often sit back and sort of observe how far you've come because i i often do you know i'm just an observer on your journey and and wow you know in such a short space of time from starting a conversation about leasing some land to leasing some land to creating a business around that and helping others and i oh, totally you know like i said two years ago i was i wanted out i was done and um and you know the concept of owning my own farm definitely never registered you know like going out and leasing doing something like that you know the, yeah, that development and growth has just been phenomenal and it's almost like a bug now i felt myself like especially the last month just feeling a bit stagnant not like i'm not moving forward i'm not growing anymore and I was like, yeah, so just it's a bit of hunger for that next next stage of growth, right? What's the next thing that's gonna gonna push me to the next level personally and yeah, and improve all aspects really. Um so yeah, no, and I remember I was talking to you the other day about it, even just looking, you know, going away back not quite ten years when I was eighteen, and I just had this thought looking back then, you know, and pretty much I, I love my job, I love shipping and all that sort of thing and, and I was interested in what was going on on the farm but you know, my life revolved around work during the week and go you know, drink on the weekend and you know, and that's my, that's my shepherd's lifestyle and it's a hell of a lot of fun <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, just how that's changed so much, you know, that when I was 18, you know, my biggest concern was could I afford my packet of cigarettes this week, you know <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to now, yeah the Oh, yeah, it can be mind-boggling at times just how much there is to going on, and yeah, and just how different my thought processes are, and you know, um, and and how I'm good at catching my own thought processes. You yeah. know, when I go down that rabbit hole of being the victim, and yeah. you know, this and that, and catching that, and you can't always pull yourself out of it straight away. But noticing yeah. when you're sort of at idle, or when you find yourself not stimulated, or mm. you know, it's like it's that whole um. You know, always deep down, you know, when you're committed to something and you're not actively chasing that commitment or taking action on that commitment, whether you can acknowledge it or see it at first or not, underneath, you know, subconsciously, it's, it shows up as, you know, boredom or resignation or, you know, just being a bit down, being a bit lethargic. And then all of a sudden, oh, right, that's because I'm not doing X, Y, Z. And then taking action, then bang, you're back on again. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that... um. I don't want to call it an epiphany, but yeah, that something to dawn on you, that idea, that spark of right. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it's just like, wow, you know, I've got to sit down and write this down. And yeah, it's something that I do now. I'd be driving around the farm and then just start thinking away. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, mm. you've got to stop and yeah, just write that down because that, that could be the next big thing or it could be the next thing to end up in the rubbish bin. But, you know, it's out of your head yeah. in, in real life now on paper. Yeah, it's a pretty exactly. cool idea to actually physically physically record and not just go, I must think about that later. It's, yeah, which I do still so do, do that. Do you, write, do, you, do you write that stuff down in a diary? or? Um, I tend to, and this is where I need phone. to be more organised as you, so I do need to have a book. And actually Rick Cameron told me, yellow book, yellow book for your bright ideas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I do need to have something more organised like that because I tend to write them down on scrap of paper and lose them and yeah. then yeah, I lose it out of my head too. So yeah, there so. are a lot of good ideas that have gone by the way. So I, I did get into it for a while. I was recording, voice recording on my phone, you know, because then you can get in, you know, the emotion of what it's brought up for you and just things like that because I don't know, to me, 
might sound a bit strange, but yeah, to me, listening back to that, it can take you back into that moment of when 100%. you had, had the idea. So I got them doing that and then I lost my phone. I lost all those ideas too. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have them backed up to the cloud. Tell you what, man, one thing I've just learned, because I was never a strong type in, writing's only good for me because no one else can read it. But um, Dragon is a is a app that you can download. You do have to pay for the for the you know one that you can save and use, but you just speak to it and it tunes your speaking into text like really oh, well. Yeah. I can yeah I can even do that just with Samsung Notes. Yeah, true, um, true. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I haven't played around with it too much, but yeah, just something like that. Eh? So it's not Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> <laughs> but when you're Dragon Balls. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say you're enjoying yourself, Jake? I think that's you know one thing that I'd. Totally, like, like I say, there's those days where you're just like, have I got absolute rocks in my head, you know, there's people are telling me I'm mad that, you know, this regen crap doesn't work, and you, know, and you have your days where you're just like, yeah, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that, and that's just a reset of, right, why isn't it working? What am I, yep, or have I not just not given it enough time, or do we need to make a change here? Yeah. And, um, but, I mean, all in all, you know, I'm on my own man now. And that's just hugely powerful to me. Like that's something I'd crave is just is freedom, you know. To be able to jump on a plane this morning and be up here for the for the po- podcast on a what what are we midweek Wednesday? I don't even know what day it is most of the time, but yeah. you know. And um and I didn't have to ask anybody to do that. I just did it. Um Sally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I had to ask him, you know, mind the dogs, yeah, make sure the dogs got food and water. But yeah, and then you know, and then tomorrow I'm I fly back to Queenstown tonight, and then tomorrow I'm back on a bloody plane to the North Island for four days. So you know, that that's just the freedom to be. And there are still limitations, you know, obviously <laughs> financial limitations and that. But it, you know, working on removing those because the only limitations we have are the ones we set ourselves. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that, and that's been the biggest thing for me coming into this is yeah, I'm enjoying myself so much. And you're yeah, looking back at that guy who never thought he could own a farm, or I couldn't own a farm because I didn't believe I could. Because you said you couldn't. I said I couldn't. Um, now someone else might tell me I can't own a farm. I'll give them a few choice words. Yeah, um, you know, it's yeah, they are. It is possible for anybody my age, younger, whatever, if you set your mind to it. And like I say, there's there's those guys out there who want to help people. You know. There's, there's people out there that don't want to help people, you know, you, you'll never get too far with them. But once you start talking about what it is you want to do and asking, asking for stuff, you know, like, you know, I asked you to be my mentor and look, yeah. where, you know, that, look that, where that's got us. We're sitting in a room here and, you know, asking, I asked, I wanted some land and I, I didn't ask for a big amount of land and I got a lot bigger than what I was looking for. And then just recently, actually, I've, I've jacked up a deal with someone to buy ewe lambs off them for the next five years. Um, to build my flock that way, get into the genetics that I want, and you know they're a they're a stud breeder. They're going to sell me second cut ewe lambs, you know. And I asked, I rang them up, or I emailed them and asked them, yeah. um, you know. And yeah, they're just fantastic people who want to help you. Actually, to date, most requests I've made have worked out well. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but yeah, and then but you still you got to deal with ones that won't. And you know, and to me, if you'd said no, like at the time, I would have been gutted. But then it's like, well, obviously that wasn't the right person be trying to get tied up with and it's not personal yeah. you know no's not like oh you know yeah 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 i know and or the, or the right time even too exactly like if you were like had a real stressful time you're yep. just under the pump and just like the last thing you'd want is like another email or yeah. something else to do and then someone asks you to do this other thing because you know i've got to be quite 
try to be quite selfish with my time because I've got to be because I just can't do everything I want to do. Mm. And yeah, some, there's some days where someone will ask, and usually it's my wife asks me to do something pretty mundane. I'm just, I am sorry, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, can't do that today. And, and it's that, not that, that could be it. Like sometimes someone could say no, and that could be like a big knockdown that really influences someone's life. And yeah, it's, you know, not no, it's nothing personal. It's just, uh, and so that's, yeah, that's, wrong, yeah, wrong leads through or, to that other yeah. side of that responsibility of, you know, going from that one bank making the request, you know, being responsible for going bugger it, just do it, or jump in and do it. Because what's the worst can that, that can happen is then you yeah, go to that other side and, you know, I know you guys deal with it and been dealing with it a lot. And now I'm now starting to see it pop up too. Yeah, the request coming in my way and yeah, being responsible for being able to say no. Yeah. Because, yes. yeah, saying yes to everything is just, it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Sounds like you've had people say to you, or oh, what are you doing? That's, that's dumb or mm. that's stupid or it doesn't make sense or, you know, whatever. And it's, uh, I've found myself guilty of it. I, I used to find myself guilty of it. You know, so we've got quite a lot of road frontage. Now, but oh, I won't put that in there. I'll put it in the paddock over the back. But now I'm just like, well, this year I direct drilled a multi species down my roadside. And um, yeah, Lorna actually said to me, she's like, oh, what if it doesn't grow that well? Or something? I was like, I'll be, I'll be gutted. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, oh, what, what about what, you know? That's a mindset thing yeah, too, though. Like- so it's amazing, that's a minute. It's amazing, in, especially in agriculture, just how big that, what other people think of us is. Limits. Yeah. Yeah. That was a limitation. Imagine yeah. if we were to care what other people thought of us. I mean, it's still natural. It's Hang still, around. it's still, yeah. it comes in now and then, but we're Hang in a world. Of- John has helped me really get over that and just that. Yeah. And same actually. Yeah. yeah. Like, not a lot of not giving a. Yeah. You know, well, what? it's not that. It's, I mean, sure, there's elements of that, but yes. there's, it's like, um, it's not, I don't like to call it not giving a shit, although mm. there's an element of that, but it's like, um, there's a lot of disagreement in this area at the moment. There's a lot of you know, negativity from certain, you know, and, and you can't blame them because there, there's a lot, there's a whole industry's paradigm being challenged right now and we're the guys out there leading it. So of course we're the, you know, the easy target. But for me, it's like to take that on and to feel like we've got to defend ourselves only limits us and gets us down to that old school ego thought mentality. and. We're just, you know, we're not interested in proving that we're the right way. We're not even saying we're the right way, but what we are doing is doing what we believe in. You know, like Jake before couldn't settle on a job because underneath it all, you didn't believe in it. Mm. And now you're creating a system that you believe in, even when things don't work as well as what you'd hoped. And again, that's mindset, that's expectation versus reality. Expectation is the creator of all disappointment, but you're still human. Underneath it all, when things don't go well and people come in and criticize you, which they will, especially when they don't understand the system, it doesn't take you out completely. Sure, like a little bit's like, ooh, you know, and especially like you said before, when it's actually not working, it's very easy to believe in the, oh, what you're doing that silly stuff for, but it's because you believe in it. Mm. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, stuff not working, I've got a, I've got a divert, that diverse mix that I said was bailaged and now gone into crop. Obviously, there's quite a few. There's some issues in that paddock, and there was mallow in it when it was bailed, and now it's like, and you can actually look down on it from the road as you drive past. I was like, oh yeah, the mallow's going good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, had a few comments on that, like, oh, what are you going to do about that mallow? It's quite hard to spray out, and it's all good. You should see what it's doing in yeah, my soil. Yeah, yeah. You should see that tap root. It's the only tap root that's doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And um, see anything flowering, feeding something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's not that everything else in there is going horribly. It's just where the mallow is. Obviously, mallow is just such a dominant plant. Yeah. But 
I mean, it's flowering now, so it's going to die, and we'll we'll see what comes next. Exactly. Like, it's not a it's not a failure. It's yeah. I've seen a few guys, you know, in the space looking at crops of you know the plant and going, oh, you know, it's a failure, and thought, well, you know, look at all these weeds. It's like, well, to me, my mindset is now, and like I totally would have looked at it in the past and gone, oh, look at all those weeds. Like, well, that's crap. You know, what did he do wrong there? But to me, it's like, well. And that context, in the context of that soil, if the weeds are what's growing, then you planted the weeds mm. because whatever you grew wasn't right for that context. So the weeds are there to fix the problem, and yep. maybe you'll get what you wanted next. And you know, and if you ever want to put things into perspective, like you know, we're looking at a crop failing in, in one season. You know, what's one season? We it feels like an age when it's not going well, and yeah, and there's definitely so, like there's challenges. You know, still for me around looking at. These things struggling, yeah, going, oh, do I rip the drill through there or what do I do? But no, I was listening to some, oh, I was listening to Fred Provenza the other day, you know, and he made the comment that we are here for a blip, like our whole species has been here for the blink of an eye. We as an individual, you know, our, our whole lifetime, as far as history is concerned and as far as everything that will ever be is, he didn't use the word insignificant, but I'll use it oh, because hmm. it is, it's totally insignificant. Like, yeah. There's no point getting all wound up and stressed about it. And yeah, and that's why I say the worst thing that can happen is we can go broke is because in the grand scheme of things, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the air for a blip. I'm going to make the best of it. But yeah, I'm not going to be stressed about these silly little things yeah. that at the time. Yeah, it's hard, yeah, hard yeah. to um, say what I'm, what I'm thinking. But yeah. No, it's, 100%. It's, it's really as simple as, you know, Whenever you're dealing with something and you find yourself taken out by stress and, and that whole noisiness in your head, which, by the way, prevents any action, you just what I do is I bring a bit of um, a bit of humor to the table. You know, again, this compassion towards yourself is like, you know, silly Jono, you know, getting caught up in the situation. And I, I after reading a book recently, um, The Power of Now, it was really interesting. You know, it, it talks about whenever you're in these situations of stress and anxiety or fear, all fear based. You have the have the mortality discussion. Look around and and exactly like you said, like whether it's two years or eighty years, it's still really insignificant. We're going to be rotting corpses soon to become dust. And here I am getting caught up in the time that I do have and dragging this past around with me like it's mm. you know got this great significance, like it that, means all this stuff. And that and that emotion and that event belong in the time that they happened. Like yeah, like you say, no, they don't need to be dragged forward. But- yeah, yeah. Once again, easier said than done. But yes. 100%. <laughs> and a lot of the time, too, like if it's a, like a crop failure or a weed weed problem, in inverted <laughs> commas, at a, in a short window of time, like that's not even like a whole fun, like a, a whole yearly cycle. Like if that was, that paddock was plagued with that problem for an entire calendar year, then you'd start going, well, yeah, maybe that is a pretty big problem. But half the time, it's only like a matter of weeks. Yeah. If that. And, 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 and then you're like, you'd get so, oh, just. Utter disaster and it's ruined the whole year. And but it's actually it's, the only thing that's buggered up is your plan. Like you, if you had a plan, like I need to do this, this, and this, and then it's just. And that's why it's yeah. key to keep the plan, the plan fluid. fluid. We yeah. should call it a flan. plan. Yeah. Yeah. Fluid plan. Yeah. Plan. There we go. <laughs> we can um, put that on the Jake plan on the. <laughs> He's not wearing flannel today, <laughs> folks. Oh yeah, one of the only days. Uh. I suppose um, time's marching on for us a wee bit, um, as it usually does with these things. Before we wrap things up, I guess we need to answer, well, one of the two, well, big thing we've 
talked about a lot of your outcomes that you've had with what you're doing. But what what do you think, like as far as like day to day production wise, um, or you know, what are you seeing in that sleepy soil that you sort of inherit, or you know, that you started with? What are the big outcomes that you're getting at farm level? And then we've got a real curly question to ask you straight after this too. So, um, so I mean, I'm saying we've there's so much room for improvement. But yeah, I am already starting to see just where I've nailed that high density grazing and got it right. Just yeah, that diversity of species coming back. Like everyone's flat out planting vetch, and everywhere I go now, not necessarily on my own places, only a wee bit of native vetch, but so many other places I go now, there's native vetch everywhere. <laughs> so you know, starting to see a bit of that come through. Definitely seeing those soils, you know, wake up a bit. And um, you know, on the stock side, performance side we've we've still got a ways to go but i'm definitely i'm getting there like my growth rates with my lambs now this season having that quality of feed and yeah and mo- probably moving them more regularly than what most people would say you can grow get good growth rates on lambs but it's just fine tuning and as far as production goes i don't aim to produce you know more kilograms of meat per hectare than my neighbors or anything like that i might aim to produce more kilograms of food you know, um, I'd love to. I'd love to put shelter belts of fruit trees in, and you know, things that are useful rather than just going and plant, planting straight lines of pines everywhere, sort of thing. But yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's where we can go with that, I think. And yeah, I mean, it's we're only at the very beginning of the journey. So <laughs> yes, no, that's that is it. Like like I say, but coming back to that, we're just a blip yeah. on the radar of time. But yeah, and you're only been in, in it on your own account like eighteen months or whatever, and yeah, it's very early days so it's kind of pretty cool to have come this far and yeah you know, what is months, what be, is a click of your fingers oh yeah it'd be 12 months if it's not even not even it'd be 12 months next week i think since we yep. had our first load of, unit load of lambs so you know yeah <laughs> groggy so the place is waking up is what i'm hearing you're waking the place up yeah yeah we just need to be able to maintain probably higher focusing on ha- bringing in more stock during that growth mm-hmm. period so that we can yeah we can keep that vegetative feed just help wake things up that way. Whereas, I suppose as you learn the farm, you learn the farm and they learn how the, as the farm adapts as well. Exactly. Um, that'll give you more confidence, I think, going forward to you know, get that extra unit you know, load exactly. of lambs in or whatever. It's, uh, and I'm going in there trying to adapt to the farm and the landscape and the environment rather than trying to adapt it all at, yeah, to suit you me. Want to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there could be some very major changes in the plan because I might, you know, see something that doesn't fit or, yeah, mm. yeah. And once you get yourself situated, you know, once you get this house up and running or get yourself a bit closer to the farm, that's going to open up a whole lot of doors as far as possibilities of, you know, grazing management and shift frequencies. And exactly, yeah, and, and just observation as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. If you're away for half the day, that, how much you know, do you miss out on as, as far as observations? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a big one I get because I'm not on my farm enough. Mm. And yeah, you would do miss out on the observation time. Mm. That's a, that's massive. Mm. And saying that too, there's that feeling of guilt sometimes too. Of oh, I'm not actually really doing anything when you're sitting there observing. <laughs> like, well, if you just get out of your own head, you, you will be achieving a lot by observing. But yeah, yeah, yeah the whole thing we've got to have always got to be that, doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather yeah, than just that. being. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I guess yeah. it's one of those mindset things of yeah, it's kind of like looking at that as a uh, you know digging holes and sniffing dirt and all that sort of stuff. It's um. Investing in your business, I guess, fundamentally, isn't it? So mm. some people might see that as sitting behind a in the office on a keyboard, crunching numbers or whatever. But mm. yeah, get there your was hand, a time when I, in the soil is 
is exactly like we we don't think that that's work that's man if you don't know it all my life when i was farming i never dug a hole to look at the soil it was only ever to repair a post that i'd Mm. taken out of the wagon or something you know (laughs) <laughs> and 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 again with the office thing, there was a time when I thought that wasn't work. But now being in business, like if I wasn't to be behind a computer, I remember when I first got my office at um, Hearts Creek Farm set up, I'd be at the at the office doing, say, a feed budget for for Tim or you know whatever it was that I was doing. If I saw a car coming out the driveway, I'd duck down behind the windowsill, sneak out the back door into the workshop, and start banging away at something because I didn't want people to see me in the in office. Hundred percent. It's ridiculous, but and, and probably feeling the same about sitting around, you know, observing your stock. But really, you know, what's what's more powerful than observing your stock behaviour? Yeah. Oh, exactly, exactly that. Well, I mean, that they're not your most important thing on the on on the farm in terms of you know your ecology and all that sort of stuff. But they are that's what makes you money. So you do, yeah, you've got to have a very good understanding of them. And like personally, I've I've got a very long way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. So the curly question that we ask everyone at the end of our podcast is um, that someone else who might be just starting out on their journey, so just slightly behind where you are, what would be the biggest bit of advice or what would you just say to someone in general who just might be going, might have read about it in the paper about what this regenerative stuff's about and it's lit a fire in them and they want to start yeah i mean if you're procrastinating get out of your own head and just do it is yeah is the biggest thing is to yeah just start but i mean yeah find local guys and if you can't find local guys you know the current sense community has been fantastic um but yeah there's people out there you know obviously it's there's a lot of hype around this at the moment so there's plenty of people out there getting into it but yeah but always keep your eyes open like don't jump from one box to another box i just see that seen that so much and you know and it is it's a progressive thing like you know initially i jump from one box to another box and you know and you're all about cover crops or you know and i see people oh, they're all about cover crops or they're all about grazing or they're all about oh my god or soil ecology but it's you know i think holistic is actually a far like the word regenerative and like i don't claim to be a regenerative farmer because i'm not i'm, I'm applying the principles and i hope that one day i am regenerative but it, you know to me, until the day I was, until I can have a constantly regenerating ecosystem without any inputs, I'm not I'm not regenerative. I'm not even close. Mm. So I think holistic is a far better word to use for my context. Anyway, that you've got to look at the whole, mm. and you're in you you are in the whole. Like we are not some abstract separate thing from nature. You know, we are actually a part of it, and our, it's our mindset that is the biggest you know thing stopping us from actually you're regenerating our landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this mindset that was separate, you know. Um, or yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one. It's just, yeah, look, learning to look at the whole, yeah, and just bloody do it. Um, you don't have to go boots and all like me, but at the same time, yeah, you don't go, you don't know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't go, <laughs> you don't know. Um, you know, you've only, we've only, well, who knows what, how many lives we've got, but as far as I'm aware at the moment, we've only got this life to try and make an impact, so. You might as well dive on in and mm-hmm. and yeah, if it's what you really want to do, just awesome, get into man. it. Well, on behalf of Duncan and I and the rest of the Quorum Sense team, Jake, thanks for dragging yourself down here for the day and hanging out with us. And I'm sure you've inspired lots of people and even, you know, me, I'm I'm feeling inspired now just in hearing oh, you yeah. share your stuff. And 
um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching you develop more and more. And yeah, it's really exciting. Oh, thanks. And yeah, I mean, for anyone in the Central Otago area or even wider, like if you're inspired, get in touch. Like that, I'm like Jono, it just fills me with joy whenever someone rings up or sends a message or whatever, you know. It's absolutely awesome. And yeah, I want to I wanna help people like people have helped me. We'll put Jake's contact details in the, in the description so anyone wants to get in contact with Jake. It'll be really easy for them to do so. Mm, right. Awesome. Rightio. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much, guys. It's been an absolute chore hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was supported by MPI's Productive and Sustainable Land Use Extension Services Fund. The information, opinions and ideas presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. Any reliance on the content provided is done at your own risk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Quorum Sense podcast. Subscribe, share, and if you have any comments, questions, or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at quorumsense.org.nz or visit the quorumsense.org.nz website where you can also access past episodes. We hope you have an enjoyable week and that you've got something of real value from this podcast. Be sure to join us for the next exciting episode. We'll see you then.